Blake. Pick a man. Bring your kit. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Sometimes I like to start sermons with a light and happy movie clip. <laughs> and other times, uh, rarely, but today's one of those days, a lot more intense. That's from the Academy Award-winning movie, 1917, which came out a couple of years ago. And uh, tells the story that's written by a guy named Sam Mendes. He directed the movie, too. Pretty famous director. And this is one of the first movies he ever wrote. And this is a personal one for him. Because his grandfather was actually like the um, hero character, Will Schofield, and his uh, friend and fellow soldier, um, Tom Blake, who got this mission from a general during World War I. His grandfather did things like this. He was, he was messengers who would deliver messages that were essential and could save lives. So if you caught it, that was the official trailer from the movie. The general says to... Um, to, to these two heroic soldiers, they're the messengers, you need to take this message to the front lines, to the Western Front, because they're about to uh, embark on a, on a battle, they're about to storm the Germans uh, on the Western Front, and, and it's a trap. The Germans have been aware of this through their spies for over a month, and they've been planning to set a trap so it'll turn into a, a massacre. 1,600 people will die, including, including your brother, who's one of the soldiers on the front lines. If that's not enough motivation, it's just that there is this sense of duty. And so they take the message, and they, the whole movie is them overcoming all these obstacles to, to try to get it to them in a matter of hours, because lives are on the line. People will die if they don't deliver this message. The Bible puts it this way in our reading for today, Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of these messengers who bring good news. And of course, Paul wasn't talking about soldiers in World War I. Paul wrote this, you know, 
all 19 centuries before that, give or take a few years. He was writing this about his own context, but how important it is and how history tends to repeat itself because World War I wasn't the only crisis in this world. It was certainly a big crisis. And, and soon after that, if you know your American history, your world history, the very, uh, toward the tail end of World War I, it was the last great pandemic. The Spanish flu, which, which ended up killing millions and millions of people globally and hundreds of thousands in the United States. Deliver this message. Paul's talking about how important it is. Our Bible reading for today, how important it is for us to deliver a message and, and to receive this message of peace. Paul takes this from Isaiah. He's not just pulling this out of the air. This is really not his quote. It's from God through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52 verse 7, which says just about the same thing. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring news, good news, life-saving news. Why do we need a message of good news? Because like I said, it's not just 1917. It's not just in Paul's day. It's not just in Isaiah's day, centuries before Paul, because they were up against it too, just like Paul and first century Christians were up against it, just like World War I soldiers were up against it, just like we are today. I mean, the news is overwhelming. You, you, you look into it and, and there's total chaos in Afghanistan as, as the Taliban takes over. And there's, there's equal chaos in Haiti, a, a much smaller island, but, but, but there it is. And, and you heard a little bit about that during Hope 360. And, and then there's this pandemic. And, and then there's all the fights that we have over these things and, and, and all the, the issues that we get distracted into. Is it possible that maybe we're fighting the wrong fights? Is it possible, is it just, just possible that maybe the thing that we feel so justified about, so righteous about, that what this world really needs right now is new policies, new laws, a, a, a new way of doing this pandemic, a, a new way of that. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. This is serious stuff. We have to have those conversations, for sure. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But is it possible that there's something that we're missing, a bigger fight? A bigger battle that the God who made us and created us created us to fight? That in fact we're getting distracted from the bigger battle? That we're getting distracted from the thing that matters even more to the God who made us than us being right about masks or vaccines or the way we handle these things? Is it possible that there's this recurring theme throughout the Bible? that if you pay just a little bit of attention to modern history, continues to seem to repeat itself, generation after generation, or at least century after century. But there's something that, that our world gets in the habit of missing on a pretty regular basis? I think it's pretty clear that there is. And that makes it all the more important for us to hear this good news. Let's read this verse together, wherever you are. Watch, watching online, where the majority of our folks are right now, God bless you. I'm glad that you're tuning in all around the world at any of our other campuses or local sites. Let's read this together because this is, I mean, let's just soak in this today. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Now on the count of three, everybody shout good news. One, two, three. That's really good. I was going to make you do it again, but you don't have to because that was really loud. Now let's do it again. It'll be fun. And this is particularly for those of you who are driving down a freeway right now and you've got the service on your little phone and it's going and you're tuning in. Roll your window down. It's probably a pretty nice day where you are right now. 
and shout it out so that the truckers going by can hear you. I mean, just shout on the count of three. What do we need in this world? One, two, three. Here it comes. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? He says, well, what do the scriptures say? And the guy who asked, this is what it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You've answered correctly. It's love. That's the battle we should be fighting, not getting distracted from. No matter how righteous and important and vital the other battles are along the way that we won't lose our love because then Jesus goes on. Yeah, there's a second one that's equally important. Not just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus will go on later to describe who our neighbors are. Short answer, anyone on planet Earth. And everyone. Paul's getting to that here too. And I'll show you what I mean, but let's do just a little bit more of setting the table here, and then we'll bring some application in. So Paul says this, and a lot of times we're kind of some vaguely familiar, if you know the Bible a little bit with this verse, and if you're not, that's okay. If you're new to Bible and Christianity, this is a pretty relatively famous verse. How beautiful are these feet of messengers, heroic, courageous messengers like Will Schofield in this movie who, who, who run across the front lines of the Western Front in World War I in order to deliver, mess, uh, deliver a message because there's lives on the line. Is it possible that if we don't do what God has created us to live that people will perish? And it won't just be for an earthly lifetime, but if you want to know what the Bible says... And I know some of you are, are new to this and you're just checking it out and you aren't sure what you believe. It's fine, you're in the right place. <laughs> a lot of the people sitting around you who are now fully convinced used to be you. The Bible's very clear on this. It says that Jesus is the way of salvation and there's no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. Jesus himself says, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, look, Here's the thing. If God has some plan that has not been revealed in Scripture yet, where when Jesus comes back again, as the Bible promises and as Jesus promises that he will, to judge the living and the dead, when he comes back to do that, if he comes back and he says, okay, clearly I'm the Lord. Did you see the way I showed up? Clearly I'm it. So I'm going to give everybody one more chance. The living and the dead, one more chance. It's me, come with me, I'll take you to heaven. If that's God's plan, I'm all for it. No skin off my teeth. I don't want to be one of those Christians who's like, I cannot wait till everything's said and done and all those people I don't like go to hell. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Is it, oh, that's, they're going to get theirs and it's going to be awesome and that'll show them. Neener, neener. The great eternal neener, neener. Which is Greek for Christians shouldn't have that attitude. It's um, neener, neener, the great eternal neener, neener, which is Greek for Christians shouldn't have that attitude. It's not the same attitude that God had through the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, who spoke to a crowd of people, God's people, the nation of Israel that was in exile. Now they're coming back to Jerusalem. They're coming back to the holy city. And Isaiah says... Proclaiming God's word, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And right before that and after that, he makes it clear it's all about mercy and grace and peace. 
It's not just New Testament concepts, folks. Love is not just something Jesus brought into the world, and before that it was a religion without love. Deuteronomy chapter 30, because Isaiah's going back centuries before to this, just as Paul's going back centuries to learn about the present by looking at the past. God speaks through the prophet Moses and says, you're going to have some blessings and you're going to have some curses. And it isn't just going to be willy-nilly that this happens. There's going to be reasons for the blessings and the curses that happen to you and the world around you. The reason for the blessings is because you're returning to the Lord, because you're keeping the faith in God. The reason for the curses and the difficult and the challenging times is because you are wandering off on a different path, because you're starting to listen to the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. God even says centuries through the prophet Mosea, centuries before the exile, which is in the 7th, 6th, and 5th centuries B.C., which is kind of where Isaiah picks things up. But if you go back to Exodus, if you go back to Numbers and Deuteronomy, if you go back to the books of Moses, God also spoke this same word of warning through the prophet Moses and said, the days in Deuteronomy, if you go back to the books of Moses, God also spoke this same word of warning through the prophet Moses and said, the days are coming when God will... So if the world goes their own way, then the world's going to suffer their own consequences. And God isn't going to say, oh no, we, don't, we can't have that. God says, come back to me. Come back to the main thing. Which isn't fighting the fights over worldviews and social issues. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And there is no greater commandment in the Bible, from, from Old to New Testament, there's nothing bigger. So says our Lord. If Jesus is Lord for you, and I highly recommend that, if Jesus is Lord for us, if Jesus is Lord of this church, then we have no option. We must love. We must love not just our friends, not just the people. Option. We must love. We must love not just our friends, not just the people who see it like we see it, we, this is the hard part. I realize Jesus is Lord, we will love our enemies. Because if Jesus is Lord, we live for the main things. God speaks through the prophet Moses and said, look, it matters. It matters where your heart is. If at that time of exile, you and your children return to the Lord, good news. I've got such good news for you. The Lord will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants. That's what really matters. Not just saying Jesus is Lord, but believing it in our heart. God will change your heart. Is it possible that more than correcting the wrong-headed views of the world around us, rather than more laws, what we need even more is more love? And if Christians don't lead that charge, if we give in to the ways of the world, if we wander down the wrong path, how are we any different than a bunch of soldiers who think they're fighting the right fights, who are about to take on Germany, who are about to storm through the western front of the front lines and take over territory because they think it's the right time to do it, because they think there couldn't be a more worthy cause because it's for the sake of freedom, worthy cause because it's for the sake of freedom. Right. And if that's really true, then it's time to go. Comes the messenger. Stop. It's a trap. The enemy has set a trap for you to make you think that the fight you're about to fight is worthy, you're about to fight is worthy and righteous, and the battle that needs to be won. It's not. It's a trap. It's going to be a massacre. You're all going to get caves are on the line. In fact, the cause of peace and freedom is on the line. 
because this is going to set us back. If you all die, it's not going to help. Stop. That's the message that comes, but not just during World War I. That's the message that God's delivering to his people back in the days of the Exodus. That's the message God delivers again to his people through the prophet Isaiah as they're coming back to Jerusalem from exile. That's the same message that Paul delivers to the people of his day, first century Christians. Well, first century Jewish people, actually. He writes this letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 10, but before we get to that verse we started with, good news, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring this good news, who save lives by bringing this news. You've got to, Romans chapter 10, but before we get to that verse we started with, good news, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring this good news, who save lives by bringing this news. You've got to, I just knit you to say, use that religious passion you have and say the most righteous battle and fight I've got right now is this. We need to charge. We need to take over. It's a trap. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbors yourself. You see, the problem with the battles that so many Christians are fighting these days is they are battles that are being waged without love. Without love for enemies, our motivation is wrong. The problem with the battles that so many Christians are fighting these days is they are battles that are being waged without love. Without love for enemies, our motivation is wrong. I knew God's law inside and out, and I fully believed it was the only way. That the way we get saved, the way we stand righteous before a holy God, is based on our religion. It's based on our traditions. It's based on our morality. It's based on our worldview. And when it gets a little darker, it's based on our prejudice. That as Jewish people, we're better than non-Jewish people. And there's a word for that in the Bible still to this day called Gentiles. Everybody who isn't Jewish. We're better than them. Don't pick on the Jewish people for that because the Gentiles felt the same way about the Jewish people in the first century. And history tells us that as recently as the 20th century, that was a major problem in our world. That Jewish people were considered second-class citizens. The prejudice and the bias goes both ways. The hate is the 20th century. That was a major problem in our world. That Jewish people were considered second-class citizens. The prejudice and the bias goes both ways. The hate goes... Our Aryan race can, can rule. It's a trap. There's no love in that. And so it could never be of God. So check your heart today. The fights that you're fighting... The battles that you're up against. Though even the ones where religious people around you are saying, yes, this is it. We have to go. This is where courage is. This is where we have to charge. This is what it's all about. Check. Is there love there? Not just love for the people on your side. Love for the people who disagree with you. My prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. The world needs messengers with beautiful feet who will bring good news. And folks, this is where you come into the story. This is where the application of scripture hits us right where we live today because our world is up against it. This is a bad news world right now. And if we, the church, don't rise up and be who God has called us to be, who will? If we don't bring the love for enemies, who will? If we don't stop fighting the wrong fights that aren't gonna get us where we think they're gonna get us, even if we win, Where's the messengers of peace? Where's the messengers of grace and mercy and love? Where's the church being the church? Or are we just going to get trapped and hoodwinked into fighting a bunch of fights that God never told us to make the main thing?
My prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Hoodwinked into fighting a bunch of fights that God never told us to make the main thing. My prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. And humbled himself and went into the valley where Jesus became Lord instead of his way of life, his way of thinking. He knew now it's not my religion, it's not my tradition, it's not my righteousness, it's not my ability to follow the law, it's not my heritage, it's not the way my family grew up, it's not my ethnicity, it's not where I'm from. The only thing that can save me is love. And more specifically, the love of God poured out for us through Jesus Christ. Here the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if you just believe in him, you won't perish. <laughs> How many Iowans, neighbors, co-workers, friends, I'm not just talking about people in Afghanistan and Haiti now. I'm talking about the people who live right next door, who, who are across the cubicle, who are down the hallway at school this week. How many friends do you have who are facing an eternity apart from Christ? How is it possibly loving that we just do that and say, well, you know, religion's a private matter? How is it possibly loving that we just do that and say, well, you know, religion's a private matter? It's just because throughout the entire New Testament says, it's the most public thing in your life. There's nothing private about it. Let your light shine. Hide it under a bush. I mean, you know that it's the most public thing in your life. There's nothing private about it. Let your light shine. Hide it under a bush. I mean, you know the childhood Sunday school song. Hide it under, let it shine. We're on the Titanic, folks, and it's going to sink, and we know it, and everybody on the boat knows it. But what we know, not because we're better, but because somebody showed us somewhere along the way. What we know... The good news that we have to share with the rest of the, uh, of the fellow uh, passengers on the Titanic showed us somewhere along the way. What we know, the good news that we have to share with the rest of the, uh, of the fellow uh, passengers on the Titanic elves and say, well, the fact that there's a lifeboat that has plenty of room for everybody who's going to perish and drown on this ship, the fact that there's enough room on the lifeboat for everybody, and the lifeboat's name is Jesus, the, you know, the fact that there's a lifeboat that has plenty of room for everybody who's going to perish and drown on this ship, the fact that there's enough room on the lifeboat for everybody, and the lifeboat's name is Jesus, the fact opinion. This is Jesus saying, I'm the way. There's no other name under heaven. If we believe the Bible, if we believe what Jesus said, our Lord, if he really is Lord, then we're going to announce it from the mountaintops. Uh, let me just say a word. If he really is Lord, then we're going to announce it from the mountaintops. Uh, let me just say a word here. There's a point at which Christians become overwhelmed, and most Lutherans live so far away from that ditch, we can't even see it from where we drive. So if you're in any danger of being too obnoxious with being overwhelming as an evangelist, then tone it down a little bit. Nobody needs you to be weird. That doesn't help the cause, okay? You know, to put the sledgehammer away and have a little more grace. But the fact of the matter is most of us are way closer to the other ditch, which is I'm more comfortable if it's private. I'm more comfortable if I just kind of work out my own thing and everybody else works out their own thing because that's the message we hear from the world over and over and over again. Keep it to yourself. Shh. Quiet down, Christian. Quiet down. I had another pastor in town tell me, this was like 10 years ago. He said, what is it with hope people? 
He's talking about you. I want you to know I defend you. He's talking about you. Say, what is it with hope people? I go, what do you mean? What is it? He goes, they're just so passionate about inviting people who don't go to church to come to church. I mean, what, what is with that? I'm like, right. There's a lifeboat. There's room. I'm not apologizing for that. Paul says in Romans 1, earlier in the same letter, that he says, how beautiful are the feet. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of salvation for everybody. For all people. Are you ashamed of the gospel? When's the last time you were a messenger of this good news? When's the last time you invited somebody to come and see, which is easy to do? When's the last time you invited somebody into your life group? Or is it just a holy huddle now, just for you and the people who are already convinced? When's the last time you invited somebody to an Alpha course here at Hope? When's the last time you invited them to a service or or to a youth group or to a Sunday school? How beautiful are the feet of those messengers who bring that good news that has the power to save. I'm not just talking about saving a a whole battalion of of soldiers who, who are on the verge of falling into a trap that would lead to their massacre. That's heroic and absolutely worthy of uh, of putting your life on the line for but that's to save lives for what four five six seven decades mix eternity into that equation and start to consider what's on the line eternal destinies mix eternity into that equation and start to consider what's on the line eternal destinies are on the line and we're just going to say ah you know the big thing In fact, sometimes getting so focused on that debate allows people to shut us off. So, well, one of the biggest obstacles for the mission of the Christian church is Christians. (laughs) When we forget the most important commandment, when we forget who we are, and when we are rightly called hypocrites by the world from the outside looking in. My prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Paul writes to a 100% Jewish audience who a lot of them now have come to faith in Christ, but they still are holding on to their prejudice. And so Paul knows, you really haven't let Jesus become your Lord yet, because when you do, you have to love everyone always. I know what enthusiasm you all have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. You're fighting the wrong fights. It's a trap. You think that you can continue to... You think that you can continue to carry out your traditional spirituality and hold on to this prejudice over somebody who doesn't share the same ethnic, the same uh, a skin tone or shade of skin as you. You think that you can hold on to that prejudice. You can't. You're refusing to accept God's way and you're clinging to your own way instead of getting right with God. It's not mincing words, is he? He goes on to say this. He says, Jew and Gentile, same chapter, are the same. Can you imagine being in the church in Rome and the leader of the church says, hey, everybody, gather around. Big special Sunday. We got a letter from the Apostle Paul, the most famous, brilliant missionary in the world. He wrote us a personal letter. Let me read it to you. Jews and Gentiles, missionary in the world. He wrote us a personal letter. Let me read it to you. Jews and Gentiles, because of the way we see, because of the way we get our morality right, because of our religious tradition, because of all the good works that we do. No. Paul goes on to write, they have the same Lord. 
who gives generously to all, to all, to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then Paul says, even more famously, just in the same paragraph, a few verses before, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, everyone say Jesus is Lord. I tweeted that yesterday because I knew I was preaching on. It's the shortest tweet I've ever tweeted. Tweet, tweet. No, it's just three tweets. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, if you tweet it, for instance. And then a lot of people are like, that's all you got to do. In fact, let's do that. Everyone say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus Come on, Lord. shout it out. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Great. But do you believe it? Do you live that way? Is he in your heart? Because Paul goes on to add that. He says, yeah, you got to declare it. You can't. Is he in your heart? Because Paul goes on to add that. He says, yeah, you got to declare it. You can't keep it to the ones that are most important. It's going to change the way you see your enemies. Because Jesus, who's Lord, which means he gets to call the shots in our life, when we, the ones that are most important. It's going to change the way you see your enemies. Because Jesus, who's Lord, which means he gets to call the shots in our life, when we let him become Lord, in the same Alignment with God speaking through alignment with God speaking through the prophet Moses. Do this and you'll live. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll live. And so will the world. Love God with everything you got. Believe it in your heart. Believe that Jesus is Lord around you. Do this and you'll live. Love God with everything you got. Believe it in your heart. Believe that Jesus is Lord room in your heart for is the center of your the cross and your sin is put to death the cross and your sin is put to death but he rises from the dead so you who are joined to Jesus Christ by faith Paul says in the same letter to the Romans if we've been united, we'll most certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his if he's Lord for you and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved Stop! Stop fighting the fights that are distracting you from this main thing. The power of God's love. Stop! Stop fighting the fights that are distracting you from this main thing. The power of God's love. About love, they say Jesus is Lord, but their hearts are far from him. That's what Jesus says. He looks out at the crowd at one point point. he says, these people, they honor me with their lips. Jesus, you're Lord. Woo, we love you. But by the way they live their lives, their hearts are so far from me. They justify their hate. They say, well, our cause is so important, we can hate the people who stand against it. No, you can't. Not if Jesus is Lord. You can't dismiss them. You can't demonize them. You can't say that they don't matter anymore. We're all the same, Paul says. And when Jesus is Lord, that's the way we start to see the world. 
Now this is good news because it sets us free and it has the power to heal our world. And history shows us that that's how God does it. Through That's the way we start to see the world. Now this is good news because it sets us free and it has the power to heal our world. And history shows us that that's how God does it. Through pain of sin. Jesus says, here, this is all it takes. Good news. Return to me. Come back to me. Come back not to the God you invented who's more comfortable for you who says it's okay to hate the people that you're against. Come back to me and learn to love your enemies. Come back, I mean, don't just say you love them, Paul says two chapters later in Romans 12. Really love them. Really love them. Paul writes later in another letter to an early Christian church, thinking about the people who were lost from God for eternity. He says, I'm writing this with tears running down my cheeks, and they're falling onto the paper as I write this. Because their destiny is ruined. Because their destiny is ruined. That's the fight that we're called to fight. We're the messengers of peace. We're the messengers of good news. Invite them to come and see. Because this message isn't just to get us saved. It's for us to share with the world around us. There's plenty of room in the lifeboats for everybody who's on this sinking ship. Paul goes on to say, but how are people going to hear this good news if nobody tells them? If everyone just keeps it to themselves? So we go and we say, as good as the corn dog is on a stick wrapped in bacon and dipped in cheese and then double battered and dipped again, there's even better news for you today. Way better. Because <laughs> that corn dog's going to kill you probably if you, eat, if you eat them all the time, right? It's the wrong fight. But Jesus saves. I mean, that's what we do and that's why we do it. And that's why we're passionate about it as a church because when Jesus is Lord, the Bible really gives us no option. So now how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news? That's you. That should be your feet to the world around you as part of this church but individually in the places where you live. I know it's not easy. I know it's awkward. I know you can get hit for it. I know socially there'll be some sacrifices you might have to make. I know people will, what happened to, what happened to Hank over here? He's always talking about, come to church. No people will, what happened to What happened to Hank over here? He's always talking about, come to church. You can come to my Bible study. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he's willing to cross the front lines to do it. And take the bullets and, and take the heat and maybe get blown up. Because, I mean, what else are we here for? First and foremost. What could possibly be more important than inviting people who you love to discover the love of the God that has the power to save their souls for eternity, to change their eternal destinies. So we also not only have this call and this mission that our Lord, our general, has given to us, go put your social lives on the line, take some for me, for the sake of getting that message out there, for, for the sake of getting the word out, for the sake of shining your light. We also have new opportunities to do this because it's not just in-person stuff, it's also virtual stuff. It's just a few clicks now to new life. There are way more people watching the service right now online than there are in person at all of our different campuses and local sites. Just remember the camera adds 10 pounds. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is Jesus is Lord and we want the world to know a guy talks to me after the 8 o'clock service this morning on the way out. He goes, do you know my story? 
He says, I was in Colorado a year ago. Somebody told me, messengers of peace, how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news. Somebody told me you have to tune in to Hope's worship service online. So I did, and I haven't been able to stop. And I moved to Des Moines so that I could be here and I could be a part of this church. I left my whole life behind. So, so I, please, do not misunderstand. It's not Hope. It's not the preachers. It's not the, although Jacob Her, the guy who sang the offering today, it might be him. He's really good. I mean, well, I mean that was incredible. It's not him. It's the mess. He's talented and gifted and way cooler than me, too. And I love him. And I'm like, thank you, God. And Alyssa and Perry and Zoe and the whole team. Thank you. Because somehow the music at Hope, like a year or two ago, was the best live music in Iowa. And somehow it got better. Some ago was the best live music in Iowa. And somehow it got better. Somehow God just like it keeps raising the bar. But that's not the point. No matter how good or bad, we didn't write the message. The message comes to you from God. We're just here to deliver it. Jesus is your Lord. It'll change your life. It'll, it'll change everything. It'll allow you to endure this pandemic. It'll allow you to make sense of the bad news in the world. It'll allow you to see the life that God has created you to live. It'll allow you to walk with this humble confidence that you know that you know that even in the face of your sin and the world accuses you of the shame and the guilt that comes with it, you say, yeah, but I've got a friend in Jesus Christ. And by his death on the cross, the blood of the lamb wipes out all of my sin. And I am clean and I am new. Brand new, no matter what I've done. Not only that, that same power has the power to look my death square in the eye and say, back down. You do not get the last word on this person's soul. We're talking about power. Goodness gracious, I turned into a Pentecostal preacher there for a second. It's because like Paul, man, I weep for you. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to just go through the motions of coming to church and saying, I was there and can you believe what that person was wearing? I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to just go through the motions of coming to church and saying, I was there and can you believe what that person was wearing? There's no deeper form of spirituality than learning to love your enemies. And living that way, it'll set you free. You want freedom? You want this country to have freedom? You want the world to have freedom? Follow Jesus. Come back to me. The God who actually is. The God who will challenge you. The God who will say, I'm not going to bless your sin. I'm not going to say, it's just fine what you're doing. It's fine that you hate people. It's fine that you hate your enemies. I'm not okay with it, God says. And it's keeping you from life. It's keeping you and the world around you from life. So we have this message to share, and we don't just have the opportunity to do it in person, but we can do it virtually. So that's the positive megatrend, that there are people who are finding their way to Christ, not just through this church. We're just one messenger of thousands, millions around the world. People are finding their way to Christ through this pandemic because they're looking around going, well, this isn't doing it for me anymore. The wisdom of this world doesn't satisfy my soul. There has to be something more. And there is. There's a lifeboat. It'll save you. Get on board. Invite the world to come and see. Do it in person. Do it online. 98% of you are online, and so this is for you, but it's also for the 2% of you who aren't. 
Because a lot of these, these principles, they apply to in person too. So just briefly, how to let your light shine online. Point your friends to Jesus, not just yourself. Notice I didn't say never point people to yourself. That would be weird and obnoxious if you did, which leads to the second one. Aim for creative and engaging, not weird and repellent. If your kid just graduated from high school with honors, post it. I'll, I'll hit like if I see it. That's awesome. Celebrate. Your, we're family. Yay. If your kid just won state or made varsity or, 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 or won a debate team event or, or, or whatever or, or was in swim club and, and started swimming or, or look how cute the baby is or, or look at, yay, go ahead. Don't be weird about this. Don't be like, well, you know, I don't want to celebrate the like, mountaintops of my life with anybody. Post them. It's cool. We want to see it. We'll celebrate. But don't just point the world to yourself. Point the world to Jesus. Online too. Aim for creative and engaging, not weird and repellent. <laughs> you know, the sledgehammer Christians again. Number three, praise often, criticize rarely and constructively. It's hard, but it'll set you free. Not just the world around you. Four, humble confidence, not smug arrogance. Five, and the biggest one, Post with courage that loves everyone always, not fear that justifies hate. The world has that so backwards these days. The world says, oh, look how courageous we are, that we're standing up against all the terrible things. Great, do it. Stand in the light, for sure. Stand against the darkness, for sure. But spare me that it takes so much courage to do that. Actually, a lot of times, the reason for it is fear. I'm afraid that I won't have what I used to have if the world keeps going down this road, and maybe you won't. But your motivation, be honest about it, it's fear. It's not really courage. The real courage is the one that loves enemies. The one that loves everyone always. That's the narrow road. That's the road less taken. That's the hard way to go. But that's the way of life. And this one finally, and this is just me, it's not the Bible. The other ones are all Bible-based. No, this one's Bible-based too, because Sabbath, it's a commandment. Take a break. Turn off your phone once in a while. When's the last time you turned off your phone? If I had more time, I'd do that right now. I'd have you all take out your phones wherever you are and shut them off. Some of you are like, I don't know how to shut it off. <laughs> and so there's a lot of 12-year-olds sitting around you. Find one. You know, they, they, <laughs> duh. That'd be it. Shut it off once in a while. You do know this isn't the main reason, but you, well, it's a good reason, I think. Physically, like, that phone, if you have it attached to your hip all the time, it's not good for your body. There's radiation there. I hope that scares some of you into turning it off once in a while. Because it's true. There's electromagnetic waves there. It's not good for you. I hope that scares some of you into turning it off once in a while. Because it's true. There's electromagnetic waves there. It's not good for you. Keep, keep your distance. You know, don't... Oh, my! And the last thing we look at at night... I will tell you that I've been trying to practice this discipline for a while. And every time I come to one of those Sabbath days, I try to have one day a week where it's just like, it's off. It's all off. Somehow the world keeps spinning without me checking on how everybody's, like, lunch went. So, so somehow I don't need to know everything you ate. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to get through the day without that. Uh, somehow I, I make it. Somehow I... The FOMO in me, the fear of missing out, somehow I've gotten over oh, everything you ate. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to get through the day without that. Uh, somehow I, I make it. Somehow I, the FOMO in me, the fear of missing out, somehow I've gotten over that. You were made for more. 
than mindlessly numbing yourself and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and stalking and stalking and stalking. You were made for more than mindlessly numbing yourself and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and stalking and stalking and stalking. Just step back and look at it. Just work it out between you and the Lord. Step back and work it. I'm not anti-phone. I'm not, I got one. I don't have it on me because, you know, I'm, I'm holier than you. <laughs> no, I, I guess back in my office. I'll check it afterwards. But, but it's not my Sabbath from the phone today. But look at your life and say, how many hours of my life do I really want to give to this? And take control of it. Get on top of it. Not only that, it'll make you better for one through five. You'll, you'll have Sabbath rest. You'll be renewed. When I have those Sabbath days away from technology, man, I'm just, I'm like a new guy. After I say, like, whoa, that, after I say, like, whoa, that, this is awesome. I'm just living now. I mean, I'm fully alive. Try it. With all the more passion. Do one through five. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And so we go, not just as individuals online, but as a church in person. We show up in Haiti. We're there. Through Many Hands for Haiti and Convoy of Hope, our mission partners, uh, <laughs> delivering tons of food, supporting it financially, uh, supporting those ministries. In Afghanistan, we're there. We're talking to our international mission partners and we're saying, you know, Hope has a long track record of supporting and sponsoring refugee families in other war-torn parts of the world when they come to Iowa. Sign us up. If you need our help, sign us up. We'll be there. We'll be there to love the people who come, even though we don't know them even though they aren't from here. The Bible says it doesn't matter. It's your neighbor. We're all the same. We, we're going to support teachers and schools and healthcare workers, the heroes. We did a whole Advent project for them, and, and, and those gifts just keep going, and they just keep spilling over. Thank you, Hope, for having beautiful feet, for being messengers of good news, for doing it individually and for doing it collectively. Don't lose sight of that. Because when it's all said and done, at the end of this movie, the hero, Will Schofield, sat down at the same tree where the whole movie started. Now that's some pretty magical movie making. But it was to say, hey, pay attention to the way this story is going to end. The director, Sam Mendes, his grandfather was a hero like this, was a messenger, put his life on the line. So he wanted the world to know what matters most at the end. To his grandpa. To him people who are walking on the right path, the true heroes, the courageous ones, the ones who understand why we were put here in the first place. So he sits down at the same tree and he opens up this package that he keeps with him at all times throughout the war. It's from his wife and it's a picture of with him at all times throughout the war. It's from his wife and it's a picture of her and there are two kids on a couple of different photos. Come back to us. Hmm. I mean, I mean, it's pretty emotional and heavy. So this is how he takes it. <laughs> I was made to love my family. I was made to, to love this battalion that I brought the message that a peace that saved their lives. I was made to let my light shine. I was made for more than fighting the wrong fights. 
and where I know and where I can to steer other people clear of the wrong fights. Paul sums it up this way. This message is of life, of good news. It's very close to you. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. Don't keep it to yourself. Let's stand up and sing.